Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Rob Elementary School teacher Irma Garcia was laid to rest yesterday. She and her co-teacher Eva Morales were killed last week in Uvalde, Texas, when a gunman entered their fourth grade classroom and killed 19 children. Garcia and Morales are remembered for their fierce love for their students. And as we remember them, we think about how teachers here are processing the shooting, helping their students understand it, how they're conducting active shooter drills, and thinking about how their profession has changed. We talk with California teachers after this news. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome to Forum. Today, we've gathered teachers from around California to tell us how they're doing after the shootings in Uvalde, how they're talking with their students and colleagues about it, how they're feeling about lockdowns and other measures that have become part of teaching because of the reality of school shootings. We've asked them to tell us how they're feeling about the teaching profession. If you're a teacher and would like to share your experiences, we'd love to hear from you. You can post your thoughts on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can call us 866-733-6786. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. And some of you shared your thoughts ahead of the show Edgar said, it's difficult for me to breach the subject because I cried last time I dove deep with a class on the subject of Parkland. The frequency with which this continues to happen makes it all so heartbreaking. You don't want to become numb to it, but you also don't want it to keep hurting so much. My wife and I both teach at the high school level. How many professions make you actively think about going through the steps for making a living trust? It's stressful to think about how we both have to consider this because our line of work makes it a possibility. Joining me now is Sarah Arms Abraham, who is a first-year kindergarten teacher in Richmond. Welcome, Sarah. Good morning. So tell me, what were your reactions to the shooting in Uvalde? I understand you talked to your mom about it. I did. My um, my school uh, where I teach, we had four lockdowns. And after the after the tragedy in Texas, my mom, she expressed concern about me teaching and the school where I teach. And I, I told her that if I die in the classroom protecting my students, I would consider it an honor. I'm grateful that I'm in a place where I can bring peace and kindness to the classroom, even in the midst of the, of the chaos. Mm. Tell us about your students. Can you give a sense of uh, your school community in Richmond? Yes. If you look at the school data, you'll see that my school 
97% of my students are socioeconomically disadvantaged. That means they qualify for the free and reduced lunch program. 59% of my students are English learners. And teaching at a school where resources are scarce it's, um, and students have insurmountable obstacles is, it really is an honor, um, a great place to share my wisdom and my lifetime of experiences. But it's very heartbreaking to know that nearly the whole school are disadvantaged. Hmm. I understand that it was it two weeks ago that it, you experienced your first lockdown? Yes, that's correct. About two weeks ago, um, it was in the morning. Um, the principal announced over the PA system that we were going in lockdown, and she said it in a very calm manner. She said, teachers, close your doors. We're going on lockdown. And my teacher, uh, my supervising teacher, she turned the lights off and she told my kindergartners, okay, class, we're going to turn our voices off. And one of my students, he looked at me and he said, teacher Sarah, I'm scared. And I didn't know what was going on. And so my reaction was to maintain eye contact with my student, just knowing that if something were to happen, I would want my student to be looking at me and hearing me tell them that it was going to be okay. Um, it was my first lockdown, but my student, he's endured four lockdowns this school year. And so how do you balance that, the controlling the gravity of what you know you're trying to protect them from without making them feel too scared? It really is a tough balance. What I try and instill in my students is that we're a community and in our community, we are kind to each other. We are respectful. And one of the ways I balance it is by teaching my students how to disagree appropriately. Most of the time, these shootings are happening because of some sort of disagreement or, and so that's how I balance it. I teach my students how to disagree appropriately so that they're not going straight to violence when something happens. Mm -hmm. And when they, my students talk about death, I listen. Um, we were just talking about it. A student was telling me about her grandma and she was drawing a cross and stars. And I listen. Um, sometimes death makes people uncomfortable. But if my kindergartner is telling me about her grandma who died and who got her wings, we talk about it. But my students have not talked about the shooting. And if they did, I would tell them how very important it is that we disagree appropriately so that we don't, you know, commit violent acts because of the disagreement. Did you, immediately after experiencing your first lockdown, or maybe even after Uvalde, have a moment where you reconsidered the profession you're entering, like reconsidered whether or not you want to be a teacher? That's a very good question. The only time I experienced in my, I've been teaching since 1995, the only time I experienced the desire to not teach, um, unfortunately, is when I experienced racial discrimination. Mm -hmm. I, it hurt very deeply to experience racial discrimination in teaching, and it was a very hurtful experience, but the shootings, um, absolutely not. I 
I would be absolutely honored to be with my students in a time like that because mm -hmm. I know that I would be a comforting voice and a calm presence for them. And if my voice uh, were the last thing they heard, I, it, you know, it would be an honor. I have absolutely no fear about dying in the classroom. As I told my mom, you know, mama, if something happens to me, it's important you know that I would die doing what I love, and that's being with my students. Sarah Abraham, a kindergarten teacher who teaches in the West Contra Costa Unified School District in Richmond, California. Thanks so much for talking with us, Sarah. Thank you. We've gathered teachers this hour to talk about how they're reacting to the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Services for one of the fourth grade teachers killed, Irma Garcia, were yesterday. Joining me now is Aite Rodriguez, a high school history and English teacher in rural Imperial County. Thanks for joining us, Aite. Thank you so much for having me. And you've been teaching for years, right? How long have you been teaching? I've been teaching for 23 years. Tell Just finished my 23rd year. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Tell me where you were when you learned about what happened in Uvalde and, and how you reacted. So I was actually in my eighth period class and it, we had a few minutes. Students were uh, packing up, getting ready to head out. And some students received notifications on their phone and said, there's been another school shooting. And my heart just sank. <clears throat> I went online to see what was happening and you know, they, they left, they knew I was, I was really upset. They're like, are you okay? And I said, this is just, I, you know, really don't want uh, this to be normal. Uh, they, you know, and they, they said it with such fear, but with normalcy. Your students, and, you mean? Yes. Uh, mm. When they were commenting. And so, you know, and, and I sat there at my desk as they headed out and I just, I just looked at the, at the images and that community, Uvalde, Texas, is a lot like where I live, um, very similar. And I saw, you know, my students' faces. I saw my colleagues' faces and all of the faces of the teachers and students and, and the parents. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stop crying. I was there for an hour just staring at the computer in tears. And, and even then, I understand that it affected you for the following days quite a bit more than maybe you expected? Why do you think that is? Why did it stay with you, that, that intense impact and reaction? You know, for so many reasons, and I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think like Sarah said, you know, we're, we're, we're there for our students. We love our students. We're there to protect our students. And this year has been a, a challenging year in so many ways, right, because of the pandemic. And so, so much of, of my energy has been spent on letting my students know that we're going to be okay, right? You know, finding every opportunity I can to inspire them, to make them feel hopeful. And, at, you know, at that moment, I was just crushed at the thought that something would happen to them and they wouldn't be able to live a full life right you know as, as is expected of of our young people that they go on and they uh, everything that we are, we're there to prepare them for their their future their careers college and and so that was just heart-wrenching for me yeah that's when we had you on before I think it was because of 
the pandemic and and how difficult that's been the strain that it's had on teachers and then mm-hmm. this cumulative strain you've been teaching for 23 years have you begun to question whether or not you want to remain a teacher you know no i mean i i think for actually for the first time ever i'll i'll be teaching summer school this year and one of the reasons is that it, they were having a tough time finding teachers and I know that young people just really need us right now more than ever, right? There are a lot of um, uh, guidance and, again, inspiration and hope that adults who have been through a lot can say, hey, look, you know, we've been through this and we've been through this. When, when they're 14, 15 years old, um, something... Uh, tragic can seem like that's it right there won't be anything else and so um it's it's important for us to to share the tools that we've used to overcome difficult situations we're talking with california teachers about how they're coping in the wake of uvalde inside the classroom and out Ayte Rodriguez is with us, a high school history and English teacher in Imperial County. Earlier, we were joined by Sarah Abraham, a kindergarten teacher who teaches in the West Contra Costa Unified School District in Northern California, in Richmond, California. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. If you're a teacher and want to talk about your experience in the wake of Uvalde, of talking with your students, of experiencing and conducting drills, or just generally how you're feeling about the profession, you can share your thoughts by emailing us, forum at kqed.org, posting them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can call us, 866-733-6786. And of course, if there's something you'd like to say to a teacher, you're welcome to join us to share that as well, listeners. We'll have more after the break. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow. Oklahoma's governor last week signed the most restrictive abortion bill in the country. Most abortions there are now illegal from the moment of fertilization. As we await the Supreme Court's decision this month, in a case that's expected to overturn Roe v. Wade, we'll talk about the laws that are changing already with UC Davis law professor Mary Ziegler, whose new book is Dollars for Life, The Anti-Abortion Movement and the Fall of the Republican Establishment. 
Today, we're talking with California teachers in the wake of Uvalde, and you, our listeners, are sharing your reflections and thoughts as well. Teachers and listeners alike, Jaime comments on Instagram, it's unbelievable to hear a teacher say it would be an honor to be shot protecting her students. How sad. Is that what it's come to? Teachers are collateral damage, and they see this as an honor. Aite Rodriguez is joining us for this conversation, a high school history and English teacher in Imperial County. And we're also joined now by Daryl McKellar, a high school English instructor at LA Unified School District. Daryl McKellar, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I also want to welcome Alfredo Serrato, a seventh grade math teacher, also with LAUSD. Alfredo, really glad to have you on too. Thank you for having me. So, Daryl, I want to start with you. I was really struck by something you said about how Uvalde affected you, which, which you said that you're, you're irritated, you have a gripe. What do you mean by that? Um, you know, I've been teaching in the inner city for most of my teaching career and seeing and hearing and experiencing this type of violence has become so irritating that I have to manage how do I teach students how to process these things other than just the content of the classroom which is going to make them productive citizens now the intangible thing about teaching is that can i teach you to be a better person can i teach you to be a better um, human being so you will not become susceptible to this i mean one what what is it what does it take to get a, a human being to understand that that taking another life is wrong. But on the other hand, how do you process these things when these things happen in your life? Yeah. And we see it time and time again, and it becomes challenging to get students to process. And it's that they don't teach you that in college. That's, that's something that you have to have. I, I believe you really have to have an innate quality to teach your students, okay, these things happen. What do we do as a result so we can process these things and move forward? Because everything is a, is a life lesson. And it's irritating because you didn't sign up for this, but you did sign up for this. And I feel that our students are being cheated from the real quality of education that should be going on because we have to pause everything else. And now we got to work on just social emotional skills and how to process these tragedies. Before the break, we were hearing Aide describe just the sadness, the tears. I'm hearing you describe the frustration. Is that a newer feeling for you, say, than some of the other ones, your reaction to some of the other school shootings that we've experienced in the past? Well, I think my, my experience might be a little bit different than some of the other teachers that have spoken because teaching in the inner city, um, mm. I've, had to, I've had to compartmentalize my emotions one um being a black man subject to violence growing up as a teenager and now teaching in the inner city and there was a time for about a first six years of teaching we had a death from you know gun violence now individually yeah that that that's still tough to deal with but now we talk about a student or students being shot and killed on their own campus i've never had to deal with that and it doesn't make it any easier to have had to deal with it from one perspective, or from an individual standpoint, but this is a whole new um, task to take on, to talk to students about this. And it just doesn't get any easier. And my position as a teacher is that you have to stay 
consistent in being the rock and being, I mean, I take it as, you know, I have this mother bear mentality, like, you know, I will protect my students at all costs. And so when students ask me, like, you know, how did I, how did I feel about that? I was like, okay, they understand that I care about them and that's, that's paramount. But now I have to take to sit them and sit them aside and say, look, this isn't everybody and this this hopefully won't happen to you but these are things that are happening in the real world and if i can do nothing else i can teach you how to be a better person in this world so hopefully you won't have to deal with anything like this alfredo serato how did you react to uvaldi um so my first reaction was you know anger all the emotions that everybody felt um but anger i think took over for me just because it's it's become common practice for us, um, which is probably the most tragic thing out of all of this is that, you know, we're accustomed as teachers, we go through lockdown drills and I like Daryl teach, um, you know, in the inner city too. Um, and we have gun violence in other forms, like he said, right? Um, kids walking home and they get pocket checked or things of that nature but it's different when it's in their own school and it's senseless with no reason other than to cause destruction. So it angers me that we're paralyzed to do nothing about it. We're just, we just as a country have done absolutely nothing since Columbine. And it's just gonna, it's not a factor of if it'll happen again, it's when it will happen again. Let me go to caller Michael in Riverside. Hi, Michael. Hi, how are you this morning? Well, I'm I guess well. it's afternoon where you are. <laughs> well, actually, no, it's it's um, <laughs> it's the morning. Go right ahead. Um, What's on your mind? Well, this is such a great discussion, and it's something that I wanted to at least relate as a college professor. But I've also had long-term um, teaching positions at the K through six position as well, and I remember teaching starting in 1998. Um, we just didn't have to really contend with the, the the succession of violence, and I'll keep it short. I don't want to go and make a big diatribe here, but my concern is that after uh, Virginia Tech, um, a lot of us, at least here in Riverside and maybe in just in California in general, uh, we really started to discuss about the dialogue teachers should have about potential violence. And I did have right in the middle, and I had this one student, and he it's not what he said or what he did that showed violence, but it was something behind those eyes when I asked him, please, can you not be belligerent in my class? And he turned and he looked at me before he turned and walked away. And it looked to me, at least in assumptions can be wrong, but it's like there's going to be payback. Now, I didn't see him again, but within that month to finals, I did look at the door at least 20 times in that two hours my my kids, you know, taking their final saying, please don't come in the classroom, Mm. you know. And then when the San Bernardino shootings happened, um, the plans for that terrorist were to um, kill people at RCC, where I teach, Riverside City College. And I know exactly where he was standing because he was going to shoot people coming out of the cafeteria. And it's just, it's just this, what I'm talking about is a succession of violence. And I think as a nation, it'd be really not convenient, but really a necessity. As Richard Slotkin, the historian, once said, his, you know, violence is learned. Violence is regenerative. He called it the regeneration of violence. And we have to start talking about how can we rethink how we as a society look at violence, deal with violence, 
and I love what everyone else has been saying because it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when, but in that time, so it won't be a matter of when, can we start talking about the regeneration of violence Well, Michael, not be so indifferent? Let me get Aithe's thoughts on this because I know she's also been thinking about it on the individual level. Aithe, what do you hear in what Michael is saying about about thinking about students? Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the, this year I've had the honor of being named California's um, United States Institute of Peace, uh, peace teacher. And I've worked all year with my ninth graders on peace building. Um, conflict is normal, right? At any time. However, uh, the tools that we use to deal with conflict um, can help escalate a violent situation. And it's, it's been incredibly helpful to teach my students these peace building tools, uh, you know, whether it's listening, whether it's um, standing back and, and looking at the different uh, ways that they can be creative about resolving a conflict. And, you know, the, the essence is once it becomes violent, everybody loses, right? And so um, teaching students, and by the way, the resources are available uh, through the United States Institute of Peace. Um, but teaching students, and especially teaching them young, it, uh, how to resolve conflict is incredibly important, right? And not resorting to violence. Um, I mean, and, and the, the gun issue, and especially the assault rifles, that's a whole other issue. And I'll leave that to the policymakers for now. Uh, but as teachers, you know, we've, we feel powerless, we feel powerless about um, the situation, and I believe our students do too, um, right? Because it's something that we don't have any control over. Um, and so, building school, building skills, and helping students recognize how to resolve um, matters, and, and that was mentioned by Sarah as well. We're going to disagree with people, right? But there are all of these tools that we need to um, teach our students, and then. There's, there's a project called Narrative 4, and I really encourage teachers or community leaders to look into the Narrative 4 project. Um, and I won't go into its development, but it's um, building empathy, empathy through storytelling. And I've done this with my students, um, and it's something that really takes them, just the process of Narrative 4 takes them outside of where they are and they're able to look at somebody else's life with a different set of eyes. And it's, it's very hard to hurt somebody when you see them for, and can, you don't have to agree with them, but you can feel who they are and accept that. It's interesting hearing you talking about some of the tools to try to, to try to deescalate on an individual level, because what is alarming is that we do hear about young people who have the who have the capacity to access a gun, reaching for it in a moment that's that's usually sort of like a an in the moment event or experience um, causing so much pain. But you also, I they talk about the way that teachers feel helpless, and I have this comment from Tim who writes, I'm a teacher of 32 years in San Mateo public schools. I've grown up with guns and have even taken my 11 year old boys to a gun range so they could learn about how guns work, including loading, disarming and shooting correctly and safely. We do not own any guns and have never had them in our home. 
because our lawmakers' complete lack of bipartisan action on meaningful gun reform, even when over 90% of Americans are asking for it and the continued incidence of mass shootings, I will be purchasing a bulletproof vest to keep in my classroom. If allowed, I would keep a firearm in my class as well. I never would have considered this, but this is the only way I see of keeping myself and my students safe. In the light of in light of what happened at Uvalde, it seems there is no one I can trust in an active shooter scenario anymore besides myself. Alfredo Serato, I'd love to get your reaction to that comment from Tim. Yeah, absolutely. I think that Tim's reaction is very human. It's very mama bear, like all of us are, you know, I think it's, it's, it's rooted in fear, right? We don't know who to trust. We don't know if after the fact we will be blamed, as we've heard in Uvalde, some of the comments made by local law enforcements uh, about a teacher leaving a door open. Um, even though as insignificant as that may seem, that weighs, that weighs on me because I think, what did I do? Did I make a mistake? Did I put my kids in danger? Did I not do the best to the best to my ability to protect my kids? It's it's something that that I feel needs to have a con- we need to have a conversation about it. Um, um, and like the commenter mentioned, ninety percent of the of the country is asking for gun reform, and we, like I said earlier, are paralyzed to do anything about it due to our government system and the filibuster over at the Senate. And it's it's disappointing because how many is it going to take? How many situations is it going to take for us to do something about, you know, not just gun reform, but also uh, to um, Ida's um, comments earlier about enabling our students to conflict resolve those social emotional skills we've been clamoring for that as an education community in the k-12 through arena for if not decades years i can't even remember when i started hearing about it and we don't fund it we don't make time for it rather we focus on other things and it just keeps happening you know it's a multifaceted issue i'm not going to say what it's a one one solution will fix it but we haven't done anything impactful as uh, as a district, as a, as a county, as a, as a nation overall. And what's it going to take? What's it going to take for us to band together, create a plan, and then go run with it? Even if it doesn't work, just movement towards progress. Well, Liz writes, I retired last year after teaching 37 years. Schools are fluid, busy people in and out of each and every room, every moment of each day. How dare anyone suggest arming teachers? Stop trying to harden schools. Stop pointing fingers at teachers. Stop this madness. Eliminate these weapons under high-capacity clips. Schools are now trying to address mental health, growth, and development by implementing social-emotional learning. Guess what states like Florida and Texas are trying to eliminate? Just another example of hypocritical thinking on their end. We're talking about kids in terms of trying to address kids who might who might be in danger at risk, uh, Daryl McKellar. But the other thing that I've been hearing is concerns from parents and teachers is that students seem desensitized too to the gravity of the situation. Have you experienced this and does it worry you? Um, 
thank you for bringing me in on that. I was actually contemplating. I said I wanted to jump in and, and interrupt Alfredo, but that was a good point. Um, I was, I've, I've had to, you know, the the fortunate opportunity to have a mentor who was an actual clinical psychologist, and we were talking about social emotional development in ni 1999, and that was before I entered the classroom in about 2000. So my approach to teaching might have been a little bit different than a lot of others because I had you know, some formal training and talking to a psychologist. And he says, you have to understand self and understanding um, self-actualization and how to process. Why do you feel the way that you feel about the things that you feel? And I was like, whoa, he says, you have to be made comfortable dealing with the uncomfortable. And that's been sort of my um, claim as a teacher to talk to my students about things that they wouldn't normally talk about with other teachers or in the household. So one, as a father of, as a father of children and as a mentor and as a coach, these are conversations that, that I take pride in having with my students. I say, you know what, close the books, close your Chromebooks. We, this, this is a teachable moment. Let's talk about this. How do you feel about this? How do we get to this place? And we argue facts, not feelings. And that leads to other fruitful discussions. So when in, you know, in, in my, my stu students world, you know, they're in the rap culture and the hip hop culture and death is almost like, oh yeah, so-and-so got killed. So-and-so got killed. And it's on to the next thing. And it's on to the next thing. And I said, like, whoa, pause. How did you guys become so just mean to each other? Like, where did this come from? And it's like, Mr. McKellar, man, hey, negative wins. And I had to process that and like think about it from their perspective because everything is so accessible, like guns, like information, like negative content. And so if I challenge all teachers, I challenge all adults, you need to talk to your, to your students. You need to talk to your children about why they feel the way that they feel. And if it's justified, talk about it. If it's unjustified, it's like, whoa, 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 hold on. Let's let's dial that back a little bit. Let's, uh, let's unpack some of that. But here's the thing, teachers, I'll speak for the group that I, that I work with, we feel handcuffed because if we're not following the script, if we're not following the content, um, then an administrator might come in and say, hey, well, you're not doing X, Y, and Z. But then at the same time, we get an email saying like, we need to deal with social emotional behaviors. So much so, to We'll have more after the break. Stay with us. This is Forum. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, my name is Lisa Kelly, and I'm a teacher in Oakland, California. I've been teaching for 11 years. I've taught 4th grade, 5th grade, 6th grade, and I teach ninth grade elementary, I mean ninth grade high school. 
Um, and I love teaching, but to answer the question of what it's like to be teaching now after what happened in Texas, I mean, the first word that comes to my mind is exhausted, like a soul weary, to the bones, functioning like a zombie every day level of exhaustion. And to hear about this mass shooting in which police stood aside and the only people who stood up for the kids were the teachers and they died for it. And to know that like I shouldn't have to die in this profession. This is not, I didn't come into teaching to be a martyr. I didn't come into teaching to die for my students. And yet, there's no way that I know that I'm responsible for them. Like it's been drilled into my being. It's part of why I took on this job that when those children are dropped off in my care, I'm responsible for them. I'm, it is my job to deliver them back safely to their parents when everything that is within my power. And also I don't want to die for that. Um, and then to know that the country doesn't care. So to answer the question after the it feels exhausting to be a teacher. That was teacher Lisa Kelly leaving a voicemail ahead of the show. We're talking with California teachers about how they're coping in the wake of Uvalde inside the classroom and out. We have Alfredo Serato with us, a seventh grade math teacher at LAUSD. Daryl McKellar, a high school English instructor for LAUSD. And Aite Rodriguez, a high school history and English teacher in Imperial County. And you, our listeners, are joining with your thoughts. Caitlin tweets, I did not become a teacher 15 years ago so I could die a hero, shielding my students from a madman with a gun because GOP politicians won't stand up to an NRA lobbyist with a checkbook. Before the break, I think we were talking about students who've grown up with school shootings and lockdowns and so on all their lives. And and I'm wondering what the drills are like for you when you do them or if you're if you have to do a lockdown because there is an active shooter out in the community, how your students react in those moments? So our students take drills very seriously. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, it's sad to say, right? Because again, this isn't something that should be normal. This is, um, schools should be safe places where parents feel comfortable leaving them, where we as teachers uh, you know, know that we are going to go home to our families, right? We didn't sign up for a risky life. Um, that said, you know, we we actually have a very um, uh, organized system in place. It's called Catapult, and there's communication on our phones and on our uh, computers. And so, like, let's say, for example, a mile away, um, someone broke into 7-Eleven and it has a gun, we will get a notification on Catapult. Even if they're not, if they're within a mile radius, um, we get a, a text that says code yellow. And, and you know, just to, to make sure that uh, our students aren't outside, that they're not by the gate, et cetera, right? We don't want to put them in danger. Uh, the same, you know, when we have drills, uh, we go through the catapult system where it communicates with teachers. We know what we need to do to secure our classrooms, turn the lights off, be quiet. Uh, we've been through trainings on 
um, you know, ways to protect our students under those circumstances. Now, in the reality, will we remember all of that? I don't know. Um, but, you know, the, the uh, most important thing is to stay safe and to keep our students safe. Alfredo, what do your middle school students do? How do they respond or behave during lockdown drills or active shooter drills? Yeah, so middle school is a fun, fun time to uh, teach just because of the duality that the kids face. You know, they're stepping into young adulthood, but at the same time, they're still, you know, more kids. So lockdowns at times, depending on how you preface it and how you frame it can get out of hand. I've seen, I've been, I've substituted and subbed in for classrooms where a teacher hasn't had an active conversation about why we have these lockdowns. And it gets a little bit, you know, a little bit chaotic with uh, kids trying to deflect the seriousness by, you know, making jokes, you know, and I know that's an, that's a coping mechanism that they have uh, specifically in my context in my school is when they're uncomfortable or when they're scared or anxious, they try to crack a, a joke. And so the onus is on us as educators to explain to them why it is that we have these lockdowns and what the significance is. And, you know, just have, have them pause to have a mindful moment and a mindful discussion. Um, but yeah, we, we get the, we get all the range, we get the range from the jokesters. And then we get the kids that are like, Hey, no, I've, you know, I've been a witness to gun violence. And so I'm going to take this seriously. Um, and if that ever happens in my classroom, I leverage those stories. Um, I know we've talked about empathy through storytelling. I, I, it works. And I leverage that as much as possible. Do you ever worry or have you worried more lately about your own personal safety, Alfredo? Absolutely. Um, I, I think like any other teacher, I would protect my kids, no matter what, um, be whatever happens, I'm gonna do everything I can. But intrinsically, that means that now I'm in danger. And now I have to think about what I have to do, what supplies do I have? What's my exit strategy, not just for my kids, but as also myself, because if I go down, I can't help my kids anymore. And that's something that I think about within these lockdown drills, um, and I don't, I don't feel safe. I really don't, um, which is an unfortunate reality, but I know that I have to be brave, not just for my kids, but my community as well. You know, these aren't just my students. They're also my community students and my community's future. And if I don't do what I can do to the best of my ability, be it protecting them, or teaching them social emotional skills and, and conflict resolution skills, then I'm, am I really helping my community? Hmm. You know, Daryl, you've been in this profession for a, a really long time, and I know you've seen a lot, right, as a result of, as you described it, being a teacher, an inner city teacher. But I do wonder if there are really fundamental ways that you feel like the profession has changed for you as a result of of these mass shootings these mass school shootings well one of the things i um wear as a badge of honor is that i'm one of the only black male english teachers in my field and i use that as to, to keep myself engaged like hey i got i gotta carry the weight of the community i gotta carry the weight of my ancestors and with that comes 
you know, with great power comes, you know, great responsibility. And I think Alfredo was saying something like, you know, you deal with it every day. And I use my experiences as a teenager, you know, you know, being somewhat involved in, you know, neighborhood activities, we have a term called keep your head on the swivel. And you always, every day that I, I walk into a school, I, you know, I always try to check my surroundings, check my surroundings. And the, the lockdowns, um, I've been actually part of the admin team to, you know, um, actually administer a lockdown. And I've seen how it happens. And I've actually been in the classroom, you know, when it happens. And as long as you're having a conversation with your students about, look, this is what's happening. We hear that we hear the helicopter overhead. Um, Fortunately, I have relationships with uh, other staff on campus, so they'll give me a text or a heads up like, hey, such and such, such happened in the neighborhood. Be aware of this. This is the situation. But I tr always try to come back to the classroom, and that has to be your safe space. You have to let kids know that I got you at all times. So I'm, I'm not frustrated. I, I, you know, it's part of the job. This is what we signed up for because their safety whether it's their mental safety, social emotional safety, um, their preparation, I take it personal that you will be prepared for whatever life throws at you because of your experience with me. I'm on, I am now on your resume that this this time that we spent together, me as your teacher, you as my student, I take that job extremely important and you will be prepared for whatever life throws at you. I think I know you've talked about how this constantly recommits you to teaching to some extent, but from the time that you began to now, what would you say is the biggest difference that is influenced by, by mass shootings in, in your teaching career that you've noticed? I, I think it's uh, one, the, I don't want to say indifference because it's not indifference, uh, but perhaps how, um, normalize this has become right and it's and it's not normal um I, you know i want to repeat that that this is not a normal occurrence uh and and yet they happen so often um another is the sense of anxiety i've 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 noticed my students anxiety grow uh the way they relate to each other and perhaps even with cell phones they're disconnections to each other, right? You know, I, I think that cell phones or the technology is fantastic, um, but it's it's a way for, for kids to disconnect and not have conversations and not listen to each other, uh, right? You know, and sometimes even with the headsets, they tune everything out. Um, and so as the adult in the room, it's important that we reconnect them, right? You know, through things like, um, you know, whether it's group work or giving them a chance to uh, do the storytelling and listen to each other. A lot of these skills that we take for granted, we really need to scaffold and build again in our students because they're, you know, and it's, and it's, and it's not their fault. It's just the time this, that they've grown up in. This is, this is what they've had, texting, computers, Right. And so to reconnect their humanity, we need to model that and have activities in the classroom, uh, like as they call them, old school, right, where they talk and they listen and they reconnect and they build those skills. 
Well, John writes, a few years ago, an active shooter alert went out at the center site of special education schools in San Mateo County, where I work as a special education teacher. A block away, a woman entered the headquarters of YouTube and began shooting. My colleagues were in classrooms that had doors that couldn't be locked on a campus that was unsecured. The entire teaching and support staff expressed that they were terrified for their students and themselves. And yet, as real as this active shooter alert was, and as hard as it hits home, the reality was nothing compared to mind-numbing horror experienced by the victims and survivors of every single one of these seemingly endless school shootings. Greg writes, I teach disaster preparedness in response to high school students on the peninsula. When these shootings occur, we all feel so powerless. I'm grateful to be able to teach a curriculum that empowers my students and gives them the tools and confidence to be first responders and lifesavers, not only when these large-scale tragedies occur, but when everyday accidents happen. And this listener tweets, guns in every classroom will lead to more gun deaths in classrooms. The answer to the problem is not turning schools into prisons with armed guards. The answer is sensible reform to reduce the ability for killers to buy semi-automatic firearms on a whim. We're talking with California teachers in the wake of Uvalde. And those teachers are Aite Rodriguez, high school history and English teacher in Imperial County, Daryl McKellar, a high school English teacher in Los Angeles, Alfredo Serato, a seventh grade math teacher for LAUSD. And you are listening to Forum. I mean a Kim. Catherine writes, My brother teaches at an inner city high school and has not dealt with violence, but has been the victim of a student assault on campus. His right arm was broken in three places. He didn't feel safe returning to school for a long time and considered leaving the profession. But he is exactly what these kids need. He's had kids who ended the year thanking him for saving them and showing them the importance of education and making the right choices. These teachers are already dealing with more than they should have to even without gun violence. This issue goes much deeper than most non-teachers fully understand. Alfredo, you've said that if nothing changes in the next 10 years, I would leave the profession. What do you mean by if nothing changes? What needs to change um, when you say that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think what needs to change is a multifaceted. We need to tackle this in, in, in multiple from multiple perspectives one of them being sensible gun control you know i think i'm a, I'm a strong believer that when the second amendment was written ar-15s and high velocity rounds and large magazines was not something that they foresaw coming um and so we need to adjust to the changing world um that's one issue that we need to address. Uh, the other issue being our, our funding system and our curriculum that we that we have within our schools. I, you know, I in my school there's fights. I would say every other day, you know, uh, and it's because we don't teach our kids conflict resolution skills. Um, there's no agreed upon. Uh, curriculum or program that that we that we implement in our schools specifically here in 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 my context Um, but if it's not happening at at one school that means there's many other ones even if it is happening in in a couple of schools there's no reform to have it be inclusive and I think that if if we approach it in those two scenarios we can change the the you know the these shootings and we can change what what's going on but if we're if we refuse to put common sense gun control and we refuse to fund and 
demand these kinds of social emotional learnings, then, you know, what can I do? I'm handcuffed, as some of my fellow teachers said, as what I can do. Mm-hmm. And it's something that makes me feel that I need to move to a, a position to where I can change policy to fit what our teachers need. I'm struck that Catherine's comment, listener Catherine's comment was about her brother, and it has made me wonder, Alfredo or Aide or Daryl, whether you've had family members express concern for you and and ask you to to, to consider <laughs> or reconsider the profession at all. Um, no. uh, well, actually, so um, after after Uvalde, uh, my family knew that for like three days, I was uh, that three day weekend. Um, I was just paralyzed with sadness. I really couldn't do much, and I, almost everything. You know, I, I'd start thinking about the children and the teachers and the the family members, and I'd just start crying. So. My family reached out to me a lot. Uh, they were really concerned for me, uh, but not once has anybody suggested that I leave the profession. I don't think that, I mean, like they know that that would be a futile request because it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't happen. Um, and, and I think that if I think too much about what could happen to me, um, I won't, uh, you know, I won't function. So I really have to not overthink things and just keep going forward and grieve for the families. And, uh, and I'm grateful that I live in California where mental health is a priority. And so is the talk about gun reform and gun laws. Well, Aite Rodriguez, thank you so much for talking with us today. And Daryl McKellar, my thanks to you as well. Also, my thank thanks to much. Alfredo Serato for joining us. Thank you, Alfredo. Thank you for having me. And Alfredo Serato, again, a seventh grade math teacher, John McKellar, a high school English teacher, Aite Rodriguez, a high school history and English teacher. My thanks also to our listeners for sharing their reflections and experiences and to my producers, Caroline Smith and Susie Britton for producing today's segment. Thank you, teachers, for teaching. (laughs) Thank you, For listening, listeners, I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts.